All right, guys. Uh, hey there. Uh, welcome to the Big Dogs Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lee. And today I have uh, the pleasure of discussing a vast number of topics uh, with Coach Sean McGovern. So uh, thanks for coming on, Sean. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. For sure. And uh, those of you that don't know Sean, um, give, give us uh, the quick rundown of uh, where you started in, in your coaching career and, and where you're currently at. Yeah. Um, wow. CrossFit back in, um, 2007, um, you know, uh, down in Chicago, got to work at uh Wayne city CrossFit back in the day and kind of got my introduction into that after kind of looking at running and, um, bodybuilding as a precursor to that. Um, and probably all of that on the back of about 27 years of, uh, skateboarding as a kind of a foundation within there. But, um, yeah, been coaching since uh, probably late 07 or early 08 for that matter, and uh, just continuing to refine my, my thoughts around what coaching looks like um, through, you know, as many areas as possible at this point. Yeah, and and there's like multiple levers, le- layers to your education, Sean, which, which a lot of people may not know. So lay it down in terms of like where you started in your, in your coaching continuum and where you're at now with your education, just your evolution, which is quite remarkable. And, and you should, you deserve uh, to speak about it because you've done a lot. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I think like most coaches, you kind of go through these cycles of thinking that, you know, one specific component of coaching um, is the end all be all or the, the answer to helping folks get worth where they're where headed but you only kind of end up going through seasons of seeing the importance of areas and then emphasizing um other areas or biasing those um you know whether you're consciously doing that or not but i had the opportunity to you know dig deep into um, a lot of nutrition early on um only to then see um you know uh and design and you know deeply go into that and then um, you know, kind of come to realize, well, if you're not nutritionally balanced, then um, your performance is going to be hit. But then looking at the behavioral side of that and uh, um, the neurobiology behind that, then you're like, well, are you even capable of um, behavior changes um, and creating new patterns if if that's off? And where does nutrition play into that? So, yeah. um, you know, I got into um, FDN, functional diagnostic nutrition back in um, once it was late 2014 or so. And then, um, you know, exploring that and kind of wrapping my head around that was fun. Um, only to see that, you know, this, there's a deeper nutritional component to that. And then just thinking about macronutrients and, and starting to think about micronutrients, you know, really realizing that there wasn't, um, enough understanding for myself, like to, to go deeper and there, I needed to like start from the beginning and look at cell biology and look at genetics and um, developmental biology. So I, uh, I re-engaged a, a degree at ASU in exactly that in biological sciences with a concentration on genetic cell and developmental biology. And um, within a, a couple of semesters of that and taking some of that specific coursework, um, realized that yet again, like from my exposures and talking to professors and um, you know, at this point, 10 years of being in the trenches coaching that um, my 
my brain really kind of pushed me into another biological sciences um, concentration of looking at specifically neurobiology, physiology, and behavior, and how the three of those kind of work through. And as a coach, you could see like, you know, with nutrition being a intervention of those mm -hmm. and training being an intervention of those, you can really see how those three things are drastically going to impact each other and kind of play off of each other. When you think of the um, coach client relationship in lieu of kind of, or in building of um, acquisition of a goal or um, helping someone get to where they're looking to, to live at that point. Yeah, for sure, man. And it, we'll dabble into epigenetics, which is what we're going to spend the majority of our time. In, and I know it's an area of, of uh, high interest to you and something that you're studying currently. And we spoke a little bit about uh, some of the areas where you think it can help clients uh, in general, but let's, let's first define it um, in simple layman's terms for the people listening what is epigenetics, where does it evolve from, um, and how uh, is it currently being applied or who, how are coaches currently applying it into uh, the fitness space today? Yeah, um, basically it's, it's the gene-environment interaction. So um, I think a lot of folks are doing it whether they know it or not, and um, other folks you know, can kind of look at it in a sense of um, – long-term acclimations, right? So mm -hmm. without going too deep into it and thinking about looking at different expressions and things like that, all you really have to think about is like, what does the environment of the individual look like on the most consistent basis? And what, adap what I don't even want to say adaptations because they're not permanent in like an evolutionary right. sense because that, that this doesn't even apply. It's too short of a time um, restraint for, for that to happen, but what accommodations have happened in the system, right? So if you've yeah. been, um, a poor, um, drinker of water for 10 years, what does that mean in your system? How does that change your chemistry? How does that change cellular signaling, your ability to, um, move nutrients throughout the body, things like that. Right. So when you start looking at histories for people, you can kind of hammer down on something like that and be like, well, okay, you have, you have a poor history of X, Y, and Z, let's change the environment, right? And that's not only in a cellular level, right, of being like, okay, we need to make sure that you're, you're hydrated on a daily basis, but also the physical environment of putting you in an area where you can thrive and actually create these behaviors to continue moving that pattern forward, right? Otherwise, you're just, yeah. you know, like anything else you're trying to change, it's, it's going to have a short life. And it, it's it's like training where you can't just fast track that and say, well, you know, I drank water for a month and I didn't see a change in that. It's like, no, 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 you didn't do that for 10 years. Like you have some cobwebs to sweep out of this whole signaling process, right? You, you need to tell your right. body to, to clear out or adjust um, some histone modification so that like your DNA is being expressed in the way that it was meant to opposed to having um, – some level of modification occurs so that it's not running certain mRNA and signaling the body telling it to do X instead of Y for this case. Right, right. And so let me ask you this, John, and just for individuals that are curious about that, how are you, how are you identifying epigenetics like uh, in terrain? Like how, how are you getting underneath the hood and identifying those things? Now, obviously there's questions that you can ask an athlete about, you know, what, what their current environment is and what they've been doing in their past history. But are there any layers deep that you're currently uh, utilizing um, that allows you kind of to just get a bigger picture of what's, what's currently taking place in the environment? 
I mean, so you could look at different enzyme activity as far as like DNA kits and stuff like that's concerned and, and, um, you know, draw your own conclusions through those. But, but realistically, um, you can just look at norms and, and processes that should be taking place. And when you see that X and Y aren't lining up as far as um, we're giving you the, the correct amount of stress or we're giving you the correct amount of nutrition and something isn't quite aligning with that, then you can kind of see that happen, right? And, and plenty of people have written on, um, you know, the functions of things like um, COMT and all these other genes that code for specific proteins that, you know, create enzymes and either break down um, hormones or help in other specific areas. But um, there, there's handfuls of, um, of, you know, characteristics or um, attributes that would be presented in someone's personality or in their energy levels or whatever the case may be. And if they're exhibiting a lot of those attributes, then um, you can kind of, you know, go off the basis of we need to clean up some of these things and work against that because things like methylation likely won't be um, removed from DNA, right? But um, right. when you're looking at acetylation and any level of um, histones kind of changing through there, um, that can be manipulated um, via environment, right? For the cell, like what nutrients are available and, and things of that nature. So, um, you know, it, it's very, you know, as you can imagine, we're on the big dogs podcast, like it's N equals one, right? Like there, right. there's a right. lot of common qualities within there, but um, seeing, you know, and in, in anyone that looks at genetics and I can't remember the author that said this line specifically, but like a gene is only as good as the environment that it's in, right? Or you can right. only account for its, its activity in that specific um, arena or environment, right? And the minute you change that, you're like, well, maybe, maybe the interaction is going to change now, right? So right. Um, without hammering people with high lab costs and things like that, um, you're, you're basically looking at creating the most um, opportune environment for someone to be able to um, really take their performance to a different level, right? Rather than just saying like, here's training, here's, um, here's some macros, like have a run <laughs> at it. Like let, let's, let's roll the dice and see if that happens. Like we know that, you know, for our athletic population, there, there's going to be, you know, eight plus, right. And eight's a low number, right. But we're looking at no less than eight, no less than 12 hours in the gym. That's still not a huge chunk of your time. There's a, there's right. a, there's a huge amount of time done outside of the gym where these lifestyle and nutritional components where consistency is, is really going to hammer that. Right. And people, you know, ancestrally can, can cry all they want. Well, you know, what about intermittent fasting and stress was always different. It's like, yeah, that was, that was a completely different time. And most of these people are so um, broke or so high into the performance game that there needs to be consistencies in these other areas so that you could, so that you can actually move forward and progress. Right. It, it's like, yeah. it's like the training ages of like beginner versus advanced, like how meticulous does advanced have to be to be able to really like draw a new stimulus on the nervous system? Like, it's, it's very fine tuned in the same sense on, you know, all areas outside of the gym as well to really be able to propagate that effect that you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you touched on a couple of points, which I want to rehash out macronutrients, um, a macronutrient profile or a nutrition prescription in relation to epigenetics and what you look for and some signs and characteristics of people that are spending a lot of time, time in the gym. And the other piece um, is, is rhythm. 
because you mentioned consistency of, of rhythm and, you know, the arguments against fasting and all these other characteristics. And, and I want your insight on a couple of the big fads out there. So we'll start with macronutrient prescription in relation to epigenetics first. Um, and then we'll move over to a couple of the fads that are out there and how you look at that in relation to the bigger picture on what you're, you know, identifying in terms of cellular biology, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, macros are funny because, um, you know, um, you know, pre eh, precision nutrition, we'll, we'll talk about it all the time. It's like, yeah, your, your numbers are great, but like, how do you even know what you're absorbing? Right. So there's a lot of people, um, kind of going to bat with this discussion. Um, and you can't really quantify how much of anything you're, you're going to get. Right. And if we're talking about an athletic population, um, you know, the energy required for survival is kind of where that cycle is pushing towards, right? So you can, you can imagine at some level, no matter how meticulous you are, there, there could be a down regulation in um, specifically digestion, right? Because more time is being spent with um, blood flow to, um, to skeletal muscle, right? So we right. actually see with the, the innervation of the sympathetic nervous system, arterials are actually, um, you know, they're, uh, they're not dilating, but they're, um, they're closing down and they're shutting off blood flow or decreasing blood flow to these other areas that require the same amount of blood flow as other areas. So with that specifically, we know that there's less nutrients, there's less um, flow of oxygen to these areas, which then compromises its ability to do these things. So when you look at something just on a calorie level, it's like we're, we're making approximations. We're assuming this based off of, again, assumed BMR plus um, TEF plus energy, um, exercise energy expenditure and so on and so right. forth, right? But when you then get into the nutrient side, it's like, you know, just being able to get somebody the amount of nutrients they need is a guesstimate and at the same time it's like let's hope they can absorb that so in an athletic population eating as clean as possible is great but anyone that has tried paleo on a 3500 calorie um, diet knows that's that's pretty difficult to do right like get your 10 shades in but you also need <laughs> to hit 325 grams of carbs like have fun not you know being bloated and feeling like crap the rest of your day <laughs> So there's got to be compromises in there. And we also need to make sure that, you know, when you're substituting down to um, two cups of broccoli and then, you know, what, what is that? Like eight cups of um, rice <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah. Not only are you going to be depleting things like thiamine, but you also need to be able to make up for those lost vitamins and minerals that you would be picking up from something like, um, you know, all these other green vegetables or whatever the case may be. So, um, you know, we, I would then look at something like a multi or, um, you know, a varying different sources of um, fibers as a way to kind of be an insurance policy and cover your back for um, the lack of all these other colors and, um, and nutrients that you would be picking up. So that game is interesting because we have to look at digestion alone right? Like are, is the macros that are being prescribed adequate for, um, how intense and how much volume of sympathetic activities occurring within this person? This goes back to, you know, what you were talking about with rhythm, right? So if, if they're highly sympathetic all the time, they're always in fight or flight because their training volume is high or it's that time this season or whatever the case may be, then we'd have to also be able to say, 
is the food that we're, we're, you know, recommending for the clients to take in something that is going to be not only um, digestible, which would be the, the process of breaking it down, but also um, would have a high level or efficiency of assimilation, which would actually be bringing it into the cell, like getting it to the other side of, um, you know, the small intestine and into bloodstream and utilizing that. Otherwise we're just, you know, we're, we're mainlining food from one hole to another and not actually getting it into our cells, but yet um, through this, through this like canal, you know what I mean? Right. Right. And so uh, with that entire process, um, we, we talk about just the, the different systems. Obviously we believe that they're multi, it's multifactorial in terms of all these different systems that we're trying to integrate and uptick as people perform, train, digest, uh, get nourishment, et cetera. Just real quick, as you hit on some supplements and some some of your, I, I don't call them hacks. I saw I call what you mentioned more support regimens, but because there are so many hacks out there, right? So uh, adrenal supplements, uh, um, uh, HRT. There's so many different ideas that's currently out there that are maybe causing some systems to come up faster than others. Um, touch on just your your ideas around that, or what where where some insight is for athletes listening, because I think a lot of people always resort to supplementation instead of looking at a profile that's good in micronutrients and a complete, I'll call it a complete food, food profile. So it gives some insight on the upregulation of systems too fast and where some potentially down uh, spiraling effects that can come from it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because so many people are so eager to just throw supplements at something. Um, but I think the best approach for most folks is a slow drip progression um, from where they're at to where they're trying to go. So, um, you know, if it's like, all right, we're getting into a new season, we're going to go from um, 250 grams of carbs to 400 grams of carbs, like knowing that you have energy, right? Cause everything costs energy in the body, right? So to be able to create enzymes um, to be able to create hydrochloric acid, like ATP is a, is being expended in the same way that, um, you know, flexing or extending a muscle is going to go through, right? So there's a cost. So A, you need to know that as you're going into this phase, there, there's enough energy, right? There, there needs to be availabilities of that. And then also being in a slow drip process of building through that is, is helpful because then you have that time to propagate all those resources, right? And you're not just pulling the trigger and expecting to be able to um, have the resources to break down all these carbs, especially because we're talking about an athletic community that you got to make sure a, you are getting enough energy in and B that you then have the resources to do um, make these changes. Right. So um, the first step before even thinking about throwing digestive enzymes into something or any of those things would just be like, let's take a slow approach and let's walk through that to make sure that we're actually getting the body ramped up um, in kind of like a really bizarre reverse dieting approach, right? It's not that we're right. starting low, we're starting at high and we're working higher, right? Um, so that's probably a really good place to start. Um, and then again, before even looking at throwing more supplements at somebody, because, you know, let's be honest, most athletic populations are, are tight on cash or they're, they're doing everything mm -hmm. they can and putting all their resources in one area. So um, tracking those foods um, on something like chronometer and being able to look at, you know, what the values of these nutrients look like, you know, are, are they coming even close and everybody can poo poo on the RDA. Um, but if, if they're even coming close to that, cause I've looked at enough profiles of folks that are putting the work in, right. Are, are 
have a have a tight regimen and i mean there's magnesium numbers that are down there's there's all these different trends that i see um and that's purely just on uh, nutritional intake right so i would make as many changes on a nutritional side without disrupting um digestion first and then look right. at what needs to come on there majority of people and especially in this population i mean everybody can probably benefit from a multi or a, a b complex right so yeah. just ensuring that you're having that like we know that even like panathetic acid is a huge component to even being able to create enough cortisol and if people are you know pushing themselves to a um you know to the the brink of what they can you know, handle as far as right. stress on the body, that's going to be um, accounted for. Like there, there's so many small little pieces that you can geek out on, but just knowing that you can cover as many of those on an intake level and that you're not running into digestive problems is a huge part. Right. And then the trade-off is does something start creating a digestive issue, then you can pull back, switch out to something that breaks down easier. It can be absorbed easier and then kind of cover that one on a supplement level on the backside of that, because we do know that you need that, right? Like calcium, yeah. potassium, you know, your, your base, like electrolyte ish, um, minerals, th those are huge just for like neuronal, um, triggering and like hitting action potentials and being able to restore and move neurotransmitters around. So if you're, if you're not even addressing the base limiter of that in a sport like this, that's so plyometric to be low on something like calcium and have, you know, parathyroid and all these things going wild stealing calcium from other places your body could be long-term problematic um for that matter got it great insight there oh uh, i appreciate that uh in-depth explanation so next just a, a quick hit on a couple fads because you you hit on one uh which is uh which is intermittent fasting and then the other being um uh, let's call it people uh, that come into uh the sport and uh uh, physics is not on their side. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm saying that politically correct. Is that, is that well done? <laughs> physics is yeah, not on their side. That so works. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's first hit on intermittent fasting and then, and then move over to that explanation of like, okay, for individuals that, that may need to let's, let's call it lean out in relation to the context of what the sport requires or, or what their, whatever their goal is, like they need to do, they need to do better upper body development. And one of those characteristics is, that they are too heavy. Um, so let's go through both spectrums and kind of just debunk some things that, that are current, that's currently out there that either works or doesn't work and just, just have some conversation around it. Yeah. Um, I mean, leaning out's probably the most controversial topic, um, especially in like nutritional sciences and its relationship to exercise. And, um, you know, the, the interesting thing about sport is, um, you know, you get people in any area of like the spectrum from healthy to broken to near dead. And, and that's problematic because, you know, going back to epigenetics and just environments that folks grew up with or grew up through or in or whatever the case may be, that changes it. And any one person can be overweight for seven different reasons. Um, and one priority action could take care of all um, other six reasons, or, you know, you may be tackling a handful of different things, right? Like, um, th there's a lot of components that go into that. And, you know, typically you get somebody that is overweight and let's just say it's like, um, you know, uh, 185 pound, um, female that's five, four, right. Mm -hmm. So 
we can assume for the sport um, that it's going to have a, a tough strength to body weight ratio. Gymnastics are going to be limited, um, things of that matter. But um, more so, if, if they're running that heavy and they're, you know, arguably you could imagine, and I know you've looked at as many food logs as I, as I have, they're probably coming in somewhere between 13 and 1500 calories. And then right. like, you look at that and you're like, Oh my God. And it's like, how long, when was the last time you lost weight? And like, I have actually been gaining weight for the last six months. And it's, um, and this could be male or female, right? I'm, I'm just trying to use right. a quick example. And the thing is, it's like the fad is, you know, calories in calories out but it's like in this case it's like you've been on a calorie restricted diet for so long and you're not seeing progress on that like that model's broken for you because of where you're at right now like that doesn't work anymore so what we need to do is actually feed you enough and and make sure that you're getting in enough nutrients so that we can reconfigure some of these things like change the environment of the cell get everything back to the point where it's like hey we're we're actually fed we have enough calories every day. Wow, this is crazy. Whoa, are those minerals? Are those vitamins? Right? And then the system starts to go through its own overhaul and starts to clear out yeah. some of that discontinuity within there. Right? And then it can kind of go back to those things. So right. getting someone fed is probably more important based off of, um, you know, their last six months historically within their nutrition than, um, you know, pulling calories out of their system and fasting can arguably be good or bad for any number of people. It, it does induce more stress. So if somebody already can't manage blood glucose well, or they're super, super, um, intolerant to insulin, then yeah, maybe, you know, raising <laughs> cortisol levels and like, yeah. you, know, you know, what's cortisol? It's a glucocorticoid, right? So it's, it's yeah. targeted to like dump more liver, liver glycogen into the bloodstream, right? So right. if you already have a bad time with that, like, why are we bringing more into the system, right? So um, it, it, it kind of, you know, what do you know, n equals one, but it, it comes into this point where it's like, let's get the person healthy enough to get back to normal physiological behavior or like the closest thing that we can, and then start to create that um, deficit or create um, more low strain activity, like what we call MAP-10, right? So just like super easy work, whether that's walking or just some level of light manual labor throughout the day to, you know, just utilize more use of fatty acids as energy rather than forcing the body into more glycolysis and focusing on sugars and whatnot. Got it. Awesome. Uh, that was perfect. You hit on both subjects. So, and, and to, to the listeners, we're going to have Sean on lots more to, to debunk and, and just have more conversations on nourishment uh, because it's such an important topic as we believe in our system uh, that, uh, there's there's none none better than someone like you is developing mastery and, and looking at the bigger picture and how to incorporate that more um, as someone to to discuss with on a frequent basis. So um, from this uh, conversation, Sean, I always ask, you know, what is something that athletes could listen and take away immediately that you would like them to hear to be like, okay, go implement this and it's going to have an impact on them tomorrow. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest one that, um, it's really hard for an athlete is, um, finding recreational play that is not physically the same as training, right? So being able to have enjoyment in life other in other places is a great way to, 
uh, attenuate stress, right? And I think that's really overlooked. And we kind of get, you know, and coaches ourselves, like we get into this bubble where everything is kind of shaped around this thought. And it's like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go um, relax this weekend and hit that that gnarly trail that has like huge elevation and it's just like a stair climb. It's like, no, yeah, I appreciate that, but that's <laughs> you're you're again you're putting more fuel on the fire. And if you need that functional knee flexion in your life, I get it, but that's not recreational in the sense of like attenuating stress and in creating um, this different component. So that was long winded, but I, I really wanted to kind of hit that home. Um, that's big um, consistency in, um, in quality of sleep. Um, I think it's really easy to just attach to the numbers of like, I was laying in bed or my, my smart device said I was in bed for X amount of hours. Um, but also, you know, being able to to quantify what that sleep looks like for you without being, um, ADHD about it or obsessive compulsive and, and driving yourself crazy or, um, thinking about that sleep. Um, so, being able to maximize high quality sleep of like blackout, right? So like I close my eyes and when I open it next, I either naturally woke up around the time I needed to, or my alarm went off and I remember nothing. And that includes like rolling over or slight brief moments of, um, of being awake long enough to roll over. Right. So anything like that. And, and, and I'll just steal my third spot with this. If you're an athlete and you let your dog sleep in your bed or your cat screw with you <laughs> while you're sleeping, oh my God, like I, I loved my dog more than, I mean, I'm a dog person, right? But yeah, yeah. the minute I got, and it, I mean, this dog was sleeping in my bed from six weeks till about 10 and a half, right? So that was hard for me too, but getting him out of my bed, and this is a 45 pound beagle basically. Um, <laughs> but you know, he'd do laps and basically whack me in the head every you know hour or so, but that changed things more than anything. Right. And I, I get it. Like you could stare at a dog for 20 seconds, eye to eye and increase your oxytocin levels and like just <laughs> feel love. Like that's, that's real. Right. But, um, while you're sleeping, not so necessary. So quality <laughs> of sleep, sleep environment, right? Going back to that physical space for your environment. Um, and um, I don't even remember what my first one is, but yeah, I'll, I'll just put another tally up for that one. Yeah, that's great. I hope everyone listens tonight. There's so many people like you just hear that and it just makes me cringe. I'm like, do you, do you understand what you're communicating to me? I love dogs too. And we have a dog and I'm in the same boat as you, Sean, but he does not sleep anywhere close to me. I mean, it gets hard when they're on the back end of their, their life cycle their lives, too, right? Yeah. And it's like, I want to spend every minute. It's like, yeah, but when I wake up and I feel like crap the next day, it's like, ah, I kind of got to pick my battles, man. If we're talking to athletes, this is also talking about putting as many resources into you know that goal right if we're, if we're yeah. serious about it then um improving that quality and you know it goes down to you know loved ones as well like when are we yeah. having tough decisions or tough discussions are we doing that right before bed and like raising stress and then trying to fall asleep Nah, like we're gonna we're gonna rearrange our schedule and plot out times to have life-changing decisions and things like that and talk serious but it ain't going to be right before we go to bed, right? Like little things like that go so far. Yeah, we but forget about that. But nobody wants to work on that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just take a supplement. Just take a supplement, Sean. 
Yeah. Take something, <laughs> drug yourself to sleep. Yeah. And then, um, and I've done that. I've spent $300 a month trying to drug myself to sleep. And it, it never compared to when I actually got all of those other things in line. Um, yeah. And then I was like, oh, what do you know? I'm sleeping through the night. Look at that. Oddly enough, because just because I know your story, I believe it was just hydration. Uh, amongst, yeah. I mean, I mean, there's a couple other things, I'm sure, but oddly enough, it came down to just, just, just hydrating enough to uh, get yourself in that right environment to sleep. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and, uh, lastly, oh, go ahead, man. Nope. I was gonna say that's some sweet irony, right? The guy talking about it over here is like one of the <laughs> biggest offenders, man. But that just shows you, like, you can know it, right? You can tell someone, oh, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, I should drink water, and it's like, yeah, but are you? <laughs> Cause yeah. I was in the same boat. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. And then I wasn't <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that easy, man. So uh, tell the audience um, where they can follow you, where they can follow around with what you're doing. You always have great content. You're always saying good things, great posts this morning in, in context of, uh, of kind of a, of a topic we're discussing today. Um, so give them some insight. Where can they find you? How can they contact you? Yeah. Um, Instagram is just pure fire right now. Um, and I say that jokingly. <laughs> um, it's uh, at Coach Sean McGovern, S-E-A-N, McGovern. Um, and uh, all one word, all, I don't think lowercase, uppercase means anything anymore. I'm showing my age. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll um, be frequently um, adding some some thoughts and um more so commentary on fitness through there and, and, and chatting with folks. Um, other than that, um, you know, we're over here in Scottsdale, just, uh, just having fun and, um, you know, being coaches, but other (laughs) than that, that, that's the place to find me. My Facebook is like, it's there, but I, I go on that once a month. So it's, it's (laughs) yeah, yeah, for sure. And, uh, again, we'll have Sean on lots more, um, and to discuss multiple, multiple topics. And, and if there is anything, anyone out there in the cloud or in space or in the earth is, is wanting to, dis- or wanting us to discuss, cause I think, you know, we've got thousands of topics we could probably hit on, um, then feel free to, to let Sean or I know, um, so that we can frequent it and, uh, get him back on as soon as possible. So, uh, thanks Sean, really appreciate your time. Um, and we will chat again soon. Awesome. Thanks Mike. Good times. Thanks man. sir. All right. All right. Let's. Thank you.